You're listening to the Chain Clankers Podcast with your hosts, Quinn Ferris and Horatio Gonzalez. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Chain Clankers. Welcome in everyone to the Chain Clankers Disc Golf Podcast. I'm your host, Quentin Ferris, joined here as always with Horatio Gonzalez. We got a fantastic episode for you guys today. Horatio, the 2021 World Disc Golf Championship just concluded. And we're discussing that today. We're going to be discussing advice for amateurs after watching this. I think there's a ton uh, to take away from this, and I'm super excited to chop it up today. Yeah, I am so excited for this episode. I've been talking to you know that's like everything that has been on social media and everywhere. And this episode will be dropping Monday morning. So I guess if you haven't found out who won or if you're still nah. waiting to, you know, like spoiler alert, I guess nah, we're going to no talk about alert. it here. You cannot spoil live sports. Well, I mean, I know some people try to avoid it. So like they'll stay off social media, but I mean, that doesn't count podcasts. But if you haven't by Monday, then like respect to you. But I mean, you would have maybe already watched Joe Mess, but just in case, you know, but hopefully by this point, you know, there's no way you don't know. I, I'm sorry. Also, I'm a big, you can't spoil live sports kind of fella. Um, so like, that's, that's tough. Just watch it because it'll be incredible. Um, but yeah, yeah, so James Conrad took it down. Uh, I don't think <laughs> anyone thought that was going to happen after like, the third round with two rounds left. I don't think a whole lot of folk were uh, maybe hitting those James Conrad bets, but nonetheless, he did pull it out. Watch the coverage. If you haven't, we watched the final round and there's a ton to take away from it. Um, you know, Paul McBeth, he gave a great fight and just a terrible way for him to lose. Uh, we'll talk about that. We'll also talk about Katrina Allen, clutching up Paige Pierce blowing an opportunity to just take an absolute stranglehold on the FPO side. Um, we're going to discuss that. And yeah, so I guess let's just kind of jump right in here, Horatio. What are some of your like big takeaways? Give me three takeaways from this weekend's world championships. Ooh, three. Before we get too much into it, I would just like to ask the question or kind of the thought of, you know, I, I know we talked about it a little bit, but what makes this a world? Uh, you know, they say mm. world championship. And there was like three or four people that were not uh, from the United States. And two of them were Thomas Gilbert and Simon Lazat, who pretty much live in the U.S. and two are full time. But still, and I thought about it more. And, you know, I think it's kind of the same way that like in baseball, be like, oh, the Royals are the world champions or the Yankees are the world champions. I'm like, Literally nobody else plays baseball though. Like there's no, there's other whoa, baseball whoa, whoa. leagues. It's not that nobody else plays baseball. It's that nobody else is in the major leagues. Right. But it's like they're world champions, but like, are they really like, are they world champions when you're competing versus like only like teams in the United States, they have players from everywhere else, but still like, yeah, I feel like it's a very loosely used term. Like the Yankees being world champions when you don't play the rest of the world. Yeah, we hate the Yankees, so or don't the really Royals or whoever. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, you're not wrong. Like on the FPO side, there is a single person that was not from the United States competing, and you know that is due in part to you know the COVID restrictions and whatever is going on with that. Um, and on the uh, the male side, you know, yeah, there was Thomas Gilbert, Simon, and I want to say there's someone else that normally tours, and then just someone who like 
I've never seen their name before. Um, yeah. So, I mean, there was like at most six people, seven people who were not from the United States competing at this world championship. So I can understand there's a little bit of an asterisk to it, but also like we discussed, like I don't think those players would have made the fattest of differences in the outcome um, because I think that they're, I think that, if you're playing professional disc golf, you're probably in America already on the pro tour. Um, and so like, I just, I don't think many of those guys and gals, the gals side is significantly better than the guys side in Europe right now, in my opinion. So maybe there would have been a little bit of a difference up at the top there. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I don't think at the end of the day, it would have changed the outcome of who won. Yeah. I guess for me, it's just kind of like, you know, it's not like, I think that if you win at the Olympics, in my eyes, that's more of a world champion. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if you have, like, the World Cup for FIFA and, you know, there's a bracket and you take on and the team that year that wins the World Cup, like, that to me is a world champion. You literally played versus everybody that qualified from all over the world and then you beat the best of the best. As opposed to, like, baseball or, like, disc golf, like, you're beating everybody that showed up in like the United States. And I think even if COVID wasn't happening, I think it's probably still not that many people from other countries. So I don't know how they would do it differently, but I think maybe like take, if they took turns, like where they hold the competition, mm-hmm. um, kind of like how they do the European open. Um, and then that way, like, cause I think that's the other biggest pool of disc golf players. Um, and then you would have to have, you know, the ones that really feel like they can compete, they're having to go to Europe or you do it somewhere that's neutral, you know, maybe you do like in Germany or somewhere. And, but uh, I think also the problem with that is that the United States has the largest pool of available courses for a world championship style course. If yeah, that makes sense. I'm sure you could find like some great, like in Europe, they have some beautiful. Yeah, I mean, there. I'm not saying they don't have any, but I'm just saying it's easier for it to be here in the u.s than yeah. it to be in europe um but yeah i think that's a very interesting question if you're watching on youtube right now comment down below um do you consider this a world championship because there was a limited number of people outside of the united states at this tournament let us know over on instagram or twitter at chain clankers uh if you're enjoying the video so far leave us a like rating we definitely do appreciate that but uh let's go ahead horatio what were those three takeaways you had from this weekend's worlds biggest three takeaways i guess would be one um just kind of like the and we'll go into a little bit more but like the divisions and how they're set up two i would say like the level of competition on the mpo like I have said it before, and I think we're living in the golden age of disc golf currently. And then three, I would say is the money involved. Mm-hmm. Um, we had some drama with PDGA and money and stuff going around. We'll get into, but I would say those would be my three biggest ones, the divisions, the competition and MPO, and then the money. Yeah, I think mine, and I'll try to tie mine more towards the advice for amateurs, and we'll kind of unpack both of our takeaways here. Um, So the biggest takeaways that I have is that, you know, for amateurs, circle one putting is what's kind of the difference between you winning tournaments and finishing like 10th right? Like if you can hit your circle one putts and maybe get a couple circle twos, like you're going to be doing pretty good 
But on the pro side, you got to be nailing those circle two putts. Like you just cannot afford to be that guy or gal who just not hit circle two. Like you have to be good in circle two in order to be competitive on the pro side. Another thing that I took away from this is that learning to throw putters is so critical, especially for woods golf. Like I, I know that we've said it before and, you know, learning to throw putters is important, especially for those newer to the game. But like, you have to have a good putter game in the woods in order to have success. Like you can't throw your star destroyer on every single hole in the woods. Like you, sometimes you have to throw a Luna or a crown or a warden or a P2 or whatever it is in order to make it work in the woods. Like you just have to learn to be able to do that. And then the other takeaway that I have is that you need to truly visualize what you want to happen and the line you want your disc to go on. You can't just go up and just randomly throw it. Like you have to pick a spot. You have to visualize how your disc is going to get there. And then you have to like, I don't like see it through. You know what I'm saying? Hold your follow through, watch it go through those kinds of things. Um, as well as a little bonus one kind of tied with that is you can't give up in disc golf. You just simply cannot quit. Like just because you're a couple of strokes back with a couple holes to play, don't give up. Don't ever give up. Who knows what could happen at the end? Um, but those, yeah, those were kind of my biggest takeaways there. Uh, so I, I would like to talk a little bit more about yours first, Horatio. Um, so kind of talk me through that first takeaway and kind of what your thoughts are. Go, go a little deeper with that. Yeah, so divisions. I mean, we this has been an issue. You know, we were talking about it before the podcast, but divisions and ends. So you have rec, you have intermediate, and you have advanced. And a lot of times, and what I see a lot of times the issue is they are usually identical, like based, they're off by a few strokes, but usually the, the winner, which it shouldn't be this way, but the winner in rec, intermediate and advanced are usually off by a few strokes. And then the last players in rec obviously will be worse, but there's not that much of a difference. And I think if we look at the pro side, so this was Worlds, obviously, which is supposed to be the biggest tournament, you know, of the year. But you have incredible players, like incredible players, and they're placing 50, they're placing 60. And these are like players that would take down C tiers, you know, B tiers any day of the week, but they're at Worlds and they're not even getting close to winning because of that level of competition. And I think if you did the same same thing for ams like it would make more sense because you wouldn't have people winning certain divisions that they're not supposed to does that kind of make sense like i mean it it makes more sense to me because we had this conversation before we started going so like i'll kind of explain it in a different way pretty much what i'm understanding you saying is that the divisions like need to be or I guess the best way to put it is that like it doesn't make sense why someone who wins in Rex shoots the same thing as the guy or gal who won in advance or you know whoever got last in advance is somehow doing like significantly worse than middle of the pack Rex or something like that um, and like you can kind of see that on the FPO side also because like there's a massive tier break of you know those competing versus those who 
are MPO players, if that makes sense. Yeah, because, I mean, just look at, like, imagine if the pro side had divisions like that. Like, you had PA3, PA2, and PA1, mm-hmm. or I guess PO3, PO1, and PO2. MPO1, MPO2, MPO3. Or whatever, yeah, yeah. Like, if you had it, like, the way that the AM side is set up, you would have had from this world, like, if it was set up that way, you would have had guys that are really good players instead of placing 50th or placing 40th, mm-hmm. they would have won their bracket. But then also, like, are they really a pro? Like, like I don't know. Like, then it just brings in the question of, like, what constitutes a pro? And that's kind of what, like, I'm leading towards is that, like, this really shows you, like, the level of competition that there's in disc golf now. And I think the kind of the norm in the past was, you know, you're really good. You're taking down your local league nights. You're taking down your local C tiers. Like, you're winning those. Okay, I'm going to go tour, and I'm going to be competitive, and I'm going to have a chance to make money. And I think that's no longer the case. I think there's a lot of players who are, you know, sponsored players and they're, they're really, really good players. But like this world's tournament showed it that like that level, like that's not going to cut it anymore. Like they have no chance of winning. You're touring. You are a professional pro player, but you have no chance of winning. Yeah. And it sounds harsh. And I mean, but, but also, hold on, just like if, if it, like you just said, or if you're listening, you're like, wow, this is really harsh. Like these conversations need to happen. Otherwise, you don't have innovation. You don't have change. You don't have growth. It can't just be a collective group thing. So like, yes, some things might be harsh to hear or say, but like sometimes it's necessary in order to fully think out an entire process and get better. Just a thought. Yeah. And you know, like somebody listening is going to be like, oh, well, like, who the heck are you to be talking about who's good enough to play pro side? Like you're just the am even playing for your blah, blah, blah. Like I get it. Like, trust me. Like I know like some of these players that I follow on Instagram and I know like they're amazing players and they're, they are, they're playing like, they're playing really good. Like for them, like it's the best they can play like any day of the week. Like they, I know that they would beat me. You're not making the argument that you or I are better than them. We are clearly no. not. They are phenomenal players. Like, we know I'm saying, our spot. Yeah, like they are phenomenal players, like great, great disc golfers. But, but there's a difference between finishing in the top 20 on the Pro Tour and yeah. finishing 50th. There is a massive difference between that. And so, but if you did divisions, like what would be the point of that? Like that wouldn't make sense, right? I mean, I don't know. It's kind of your idea to begin with, but yeah, but that's what I'm kind of arguing. It's but, like if you did divisions, I mean, then like they would feel better. Like they would still be competing. You know, they would still yeah. be on tour, but they would have a possibility to play first instead of placing, you know, towards the bottom or like in the middle and not cashing as much as they think they could. And so, like, why should the M side be different? Why do we need three mm-hmm. different divisions? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I okay. I'm seeing your full argument coming to side pretty much what you were saying earlier with like if we created a system where like mpo1 mpo2 mpo3 like that's silly like why is there rec advanced intermediate like why like there i mean like like we were kind of talking i think there should be like a like advanced rec novice 
and novice should actually be used more for those people who just want to go out and have fun or, you know, are not people who are shooting plus two or better then like there's the novice division for you. And then, you know, you've got your rec for, you know, maybe you're getting closer to even plus one minus one around that ballpark. And then once you're pretty consistently shooting under par, you should be in advance. Cause, cause like, like let's all remember like par is good. Par is not bad. Like it literally is designed to be done in three shots. So if you're consistently short shooting under par, you are a, you are an advanced disc golfer. Yeah. Like, you are not a recreational disc golfer. You're an advanced disc golfer. Yeah, like it shouldn't be based off of what you're consi- like consistently scoring because like every course is different and therefore it should be based off of like your your skill set and what you can bring, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, like for example, like one of the league nights that I do, it's you have pro side and M side and they don't divide it up. Like if you're playing on the M side, there's an M bracket. And your score is based off of everyone that plays on the M side. And, like, the winner, it's easy. Like, it makes a lot more sense. I don't understand, like, why why you need to have three different divisions. I mean, the basic argument is to make people feel better. And, you know, like we talked about a little bit before off camera, like, to make people feel better and more people win. Um, which I mean, I, when we were talking earlier, I argued, I think that's not, that's a good thing. Like more people will then go to tournaments. Like that's good. But also, you know, the flip side of that is, well, just get good kid, get better. Um, and you know, you'll feel better about yourself, but also, you know, then it'll be one of those things where, you know, I'm just thinking of this right now, you know, if let's say you've got a hundred person tournament, right? 20 of those are FPO. The other 80 are am, and you finish like 20th, like feels pretty good like dang i finished top 20 today out of 80 yeah. people yeah. instead of being like hey i finished fifth in intermediate today when go there me was 30 people yeah yeah when there was 10 people in the intermediate division like yeah. i i don't know maybe you are on to something let's i think that's good i think we can have a full conversation about that another episode for sure um and maybe we can get some ams to come on the podcast and talk about that with us as well i think that might be a fun idea um definitely let us know if you'd be interested in that horatio let's unpack your your second takeaway we touched on it a little bit but there's a couple more things i'd like to say i mean there was i would say 10 to 15 that legitimately you know that if they showed up they were in contempt for the world championship and you know i know everyone that is playing in pro um they're like i'm competing in this because i want to be the best but i feel like everybody knows that there's still that top tier elite group of guys who if those 10 15 people show up you're not going to beat them like i'm sorry like there's a lot of people there how many people were playing in in this world championship um two seconds 84 made it to the last round and then it appears as though 209 were the complete uh mpo side and then 70 for the fpo side and the fpo side they only they cut to 28 okay so 209 and that's another thing i i would say is i like the fact that 
you know, it's like, I mean, it's a single sport, obviously. So like anybody can do, you know, they can create their own destiny kind of thing. But I would say on the last round, so there's 10, 15 people that I would say who legitimately like who I had in mind, they're like, okay, they could win this tournament. But then going into the final round on Saturday, there was at least, I would say six to seven people in the running that like, depending on how their round went that day, mm-hmm. they could win. It was, I mean, I might forget a couple of them, but it was Paul McBeth, Chris Dickerson, Kevin Jones, Calvin Heinberg, Ricky, Nate, James Conrad, and Mason Ford was really about it mason ford and like they all legitimately could have won like they had a chance to win but like that was it yeah no one else had and also like half of those guys like would have needed a collapse from other people and then them shoot the round of their life like there was legitimately probably five people who actually could have won the five people who actually could have won this tournament was james paul i'll say nate Chris and Kevin. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like on the, on the final day, like yeah, those yeah, guys yeah, yeah, could have yeah. won. Like Ricky was kind of out of it by the final day. Yes, Emerson. And I guess Calvin. So I guess truly six, truly yeah. six could have won. But that's still amazing. I think that's really good. Like the fact that like six were still in content, like that makes the sport mm-hmm. a lot more attractive. Yep. Like there's actually six guys competing on this final day, and then I mean, by the time you got to the back nine, it was more like three. It was James Conrad. Paul McBeth and Kevin Jones, maybe Chris Dickerson. maybe Chris, Chris Dickerson, Dickerson had a lead on the back nine, and Nate Sexton. They were still kind of it, but then by like the time we got around to like hole 14, 16, 15. it was just two horse race at that point. Yep, and but I think that's amazing. Like that's that shows you like the level of competition um, that is in this sport now, and I feel like it's only going to continue to get better because you had people literally that like. I would say didn't show up or didn't have like the ideal, you know, the tournament wasn't really going for them. Like, I feel like Ricky Wysocki, you know, he didn't show up. If he would have brought his game that he's normally bringing, he would have been in that content on the final day. Eagle McMahon. Uh, Eagle McMahon. He was going not- in as the favorite to win. Yeah. Um, Simon Lazat, if he was, you know, playing good and he, his injury was all done, done and dealt with, he's in that top. There was a lot that still didn't show up, and we still had six or seven players that could have taken it. I feel like that's incredible. Yeah, I mean, you touched on this a little bit, but, like, we are truly, as of right now, in the golden age of disc golf. Like, we are at a point where it's – you're not going to see someone win 12 world championships. Like, no disrespect to those who played before us. Absolutely no disrespect. But, like – you're not going to see a run like that, and you're not going to see a run like Paul had. You're, those runs are over. Like there, it has gone from two two people will win on the uh, on the MPO side. Like just depends on which one of them gets it. To like there's ten names that can probably win any given weekend, and then you've got at least another ten guys who like. If everything goes their way, they can compete if not win. Um, So, yeah, I think that's really interesting. I also just think that, like, the level of competition is to a point now where I think this – and you and I talked about this the other night. I think Paul had to win this world championship because I think he is going to win two more. But now that he didn't win this one, I think Paul's 
I think you can put in your book that he will win one more world championship and he will end with six world championships. He will not get to seven. He will not get to eight. He will not get any higher than six. And he should have already been six here, which would have allowed him to pick up one more. But the level of competition right now, I don't think Paul wins more than one world championship by the time he's done. Yeah. I mean... I don't know. You look at Nate Sexton, who barely played, came back. He's, I think he's 36 or 37. Came back and nearly took it. If he would have had a good final day, Nate Sexton yeah, would have won. Yeah, his round four, the end of his round four, just the collapse. And, I mean, so Paul McBeth, he wasn't playing his greatest. But then, you know, he is a fighter. He's probably one of, like, the most, like, that's why he's the GOAT. He mm-hmm. jumped ninth place, nine places on the fourth day to be on the hot round shot like minus 10. Yeah. To be on the lead card on the final day. Uh, So I think if he played, if he continues to play like that, he was still being content, but I mean, he did, he wasn't dominating Mm -hmm. and it was still by only by a few strokes. And I'd like to call out a couple of names here, starting with Paul, the fact that like, like, I don't know, like, the, the thing that really stuck out to me was his miss on hole three on the final day. It was, it was a little bit of a lengthy putt, but, like, it was a putt where, like, three years ago, you knew Paul was absolutely knocking down. And I want it to be very clear. Everything we are saying right now is not a, hey, this person sucks. It's just, it's, it's the way that we are seeing it as analysts of the sport, yeah. right? Paul should have made that putt and if he did no no thought of 18 even comes into his head right james conrad doesn't hit the shot of the century um but he misses that and like and you could tell he was nervous and like it's good to have nerves and you know that's normal and like if you're not nervous in the world championship then like why are you still playing disc golf but like i don't know to me it was more of like a, a negative nervous energy this time than a normal positive nervous energy. Also like, like Calvin and Eagle truly just disappointed me this weekend. Eagle was never in it. And then Calvin like was in it until the back nine and yeah. just kind of fell apart. And like, it just goes to show you that, you know, those guys can go out and dominate, but like on the big stage yet, they're just not quite there, but give them another year or two. And they'll probably be walking away with a couple of world championships themselves. Um, which is just like the, and like, it's also going to become a thing. And I'm pretty sure Philo said this in the booth. Like if you're not somebody who's playing disc golf as a child and like being good as a child, like, you have no chance at winning a world championship. Virtually no chance. Like he literally said, you have no chance. Best of luck to you. Go out and try. But like, unless you are a disc golf, I'm not going to say prodigy, but you know, unless you're the disc golf kid, like you're probably not winning a world championship. You can compete, but you're yeah. probably not winning it. Which before that was the case. Before, you know, you could pick it up. You I know, mean, Paul I, didn't pick it up till he was what? High like school. High school? So yeah. like, yeah, just goes to show you the difference. Because, like, Kyle Klein, I mean, he placed, I want to say, in the top 20. And um, he's, I'll, I'll look it up while you're talking. And he's, like, 16 or 17. No, Kyle Klein, like, definitely just graduated high school. Yeah. So, he's, like, nine, 18, 19. He finished eighth. Yeah, eighth. And so, he's, like, super young. And, like, you're seeing a lot of these, like, really young players who are competing at Worlds. 
Um, I mean, I'm pretty other- sure I'm pretty sure Eagle is like 22, maybe 23, 23 yeah. and he finished eighth as well. Um, Kevin Jones is a young guy, and he finished fourth. Calvin's still really young, finishing 11th. Thomas is super young at 13th. Emerson at 14th. Ezra at 15. Like Matt, uh, Adam Hammis at 17. Like the list goes on and on. Which I guess that's about the age that Paul started to dominate at. Was his early 20s. Yeah, I mean, but another thing I was going to, yeah, because I definitely also had Calvin. I mean, it's so hard to not root for all these guys. Like, it really and, is. It really is. And like, I want like Paul Macbeth to win just because it's Paul Macbeth. And like, you know, it's awesome to see him like just dominate. But I had like, I'm probably a huge fan of Calvin. Like if I'm a fan of more of one player more than any other one, it's Calvin. And, yeah, his background kind of – I think mental, you know, I think he still has to get some stuff in order with his mindset. He's just missing putts. But if Calvin – I promise to you, if Calvin can figure that out, his mindset, Calvin will be the one dominating tournaments for, like, the next five years. Calvin and Eagle have the highest probability to be – to have that Paul or Ricky-level domination on the sport over there the are- next 10 years. There are tournaments where, like, Calvin cannot miss a putt. I mean, and also literally, if you – I mean, unfortunately, the streak broke this tournament. But, like, going back, Calvin had finished in the top five, like, the last 15 tournaments. That's really hard to do. Like, that was the longest streak ever of someone doing that. Yeah, and he just makes it look so easy. Like, he's always, like – his shots are just, like, dialed. Like, he is consistently – like dangerous and if he can figure out you know like get this this experience is going to help him yeah absolutely all right Horatio let's unpack your third takeaway the third one so we talked about money and you know I've said this before and I don't have a PDGA fee or PDGA membership yet and I don't know when I will get one or if I'm going to get one because I literally just don't see any benefit of having one I would just pay that extra $10 fee at tournaments whenever I do play tournaments because I don't play tournaments too often. Often, I play the local ones that I'm a fan of um, just because, you know, I get to play with other people, the locals that I see around at league nights and stuff, or if there's cool ones. I want to go to some in the future, some of the bigger ones, and play. Um, but we, we saw that drama with Brody Smith. And the money and him paying out of his pocket to rent out that driving range. And so like, where was the money from all these memberships? I think they're always bragging about how many people have memberships, what number they're up to. And a membership is what, like $40, $50 for a year? Something like that. I think it's 50 or 60. I'll, I'll look it up real quick while you keep going. Yeah. And so like, where is all that money going? And like, they, they pay people to, to, you know, when they do tournaments, I guess, and they have a nice website, but I just don't see where, why that money isn't going back towards players or to improve tournaments like we saw this weekend. Yeah. Um, okay. Yep. It is $50. Um, I wonder if the professional one, Ooh, the professional one is $75 and a junior is 30. Um, interesting but uh like talking about that further i mean i'll talk about the brody smith 
uh, part first. Um, also, like, the head of the PDGA, like, came out and said, like, Brody Smith was a jerk for doing that. And, like, 1,000%, like, the nicest way I can put it, like, like I, I'm not going to curse, but I, I would love to right now in response to that because, like, you are so – outside minded like like i understand that the pdga and a lot of that money goes more towards the am side and that's great fantastic but like when you are the ones who are running the world championship the u.s women's championship the u.s championship like when you're running majors it is unacceptable that there is not a proper place for players to warm up and also, it is unacceptable that literally the night before the first round, tee times are not out yet, and pairings are not out yet. It was like 8 o'clock the night before, and then tee times and pairings came out. Are you kidding me? For C-tiers, I've had my pairing out days in advance. Like, what are you doing? Like, what is the PDGA actually doing? Like, I don't know, man. And, you know, Horatio, a couple weeks ago, uh, when you first were talking about, you know, I'm not getting a PDGA membership. I don't know where the money's going to. At first, I was like, you know, this this might not be good. Like, you know, maybe maybe we shouldn't talk about that. Maybe I should cut that out. But I was like, the more that I think about it, not. These are the questions that need to be asked. We are not going to be a podcast or a brain that just sits back and allows things to happen the way they are. We are always going to challenge. There's no reason not to. And this is a prime example. Why am I paying $50 a year to then watch the pros at the world championship have to have Brody Smith rent out the driving net? Yeah. You're you're kidding me. You're kidding me. You couldn't fork up $1,000 for the world championship so the pros could have a proper place to warm up their drives? You're kidding me. Absolutely kidding me. I don't care what their excuse is. If Brody Smith could do it, they could have done it as well. Um, and this brings me to my next point of the uh, like board of directors or whatever. I can't remember exactly what they're called for the PDGA. There is uh, voting going on right now. Um, for who the next board of directors are going to be, who's in control of it, go absolutely go check it out and read what those people are about. Watch our YouTube videos about what they want to do. And, you know, at the end of the day, we can only complain. We, we can't complain if we don't go out and vote for somebody else, if we don't try to make some change like that. Um, and so I would argue, go check it out. And hopefully there's some, some folk who agree with what you think and you can vote for them and hopefully they'll pick it up. Yeah. And I mean, another thing is, and I will say it, and some people might not like it, but if you want to see changes, or especially everyone complaining about it, and even on the pro side, which it's a little harder for them. But if you truly want to see changes, and you want to see PDJ tech action, do not renew your membership. And I would tell this to every single person that has one, if everybody did not renew their membership, and ask for changes, a better organization setup, for better, you know, a better product for what you're getting. I promise you that they would get their heads together and improve uh, tournaments, improve payouts, improve everything. Because I mean, without PDGA memberships, like they would have nothing. It's a nonprofit. Yeah, um, that is very bold. Very, very bold. But I mean, you know, the the number one way to always 
impact someone or impact something is to mess with their money. And if you mess with their money, they're going to, they're going to wake up and they're going to realize, and you know, having a PDGA membership is not the end all be all. It's not like you're not a disc golfer. If you don't have a PDGA membership, like it, you're just harder to track at that point. Um, so yeah, I don't feel it's necessary to have one. I, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Maybe in the future, some changes happen. We'll, we'll get it because also we'll save it for another episode, but like the rating system is completely broke. And like the only real reason to have a PDJ membership There's is for rating. the ratings. Yeah. So like, I, I don't know. I don't know, man, but yeah, we can save that for another episode while we're on the topic of payouts. Um, I want to do this real quick before I kind of talk about my, my takeaways is, uh, the payouts for this world championship, man. So we'll start with uh, MPO. James Conrad took the thing down and got $16,500. That, at least the last couple of years, is the highest that that has ever been. But also, like, the Pro Tour Championship last year was, like, a twenty grand payout, if I'm yeah. correct. Like, why is the world championship less of a payout than the Pro Tour Championship? That makes absolutely zero sense. Um well, actually, I guess it does make sense because you're paying people who finished 50th and worse when the Pro Tour Championship, you only have the top 32 people there. I don't know, just a thought I had. Um, but if you literally do the math, because 84 people cashed on the MPO side, 84 people cashed. The last cash was $440 and they finished with a plus three. You should not, and no tea, no shade. I'm not going to call the person out. Like, it's not their fault. But you should not finish plus three at the world championship and make money. I'm sorry. That should not happen. Over five rounds, you should not finish plus three and make some coin off of this. And I did, I did the math, ladies and gentlemen, from 50th all the way to 84th. If you sum all that dollar amount up, that is $15,605. That's how much money could have gone to either the FPO side and increase that or B it could have gone to the top five, top 10 guys. Like, like why are the guys and gals who finish so poorly still cashing? Like I, I get it to a degree, but like the world champion should like get like 30 grand, 50 grand, whatever it is. They should not 16,500. Like that's great. But like literally don't pay out 50 to 84, whatever, what they did and give 10 more grand to James Conrad. Now he's at 26 grand and give another five grand to Paul. And he's at 15 bing, bang, and boom. There you go. It's worth so much more. Like the pay structure is completely broken my eyes. And then if you look at the FPO, um, Katrina Allen, who took it down, which incredible how she took it down. I'll let Horatio talk about that here in a sec, but she won 10 grand. Why is she not getting 1600 like why why is she not making what James Conrad got? Why is Paige Pierce at six grand? You know, those kinds of things. Um, and they cashed out up to let's see here, twenty-eighth. So a plus twenty-two was last cash in FPO. I don't know. It just seems like I get it, you want to get more people paid, but like I don't I don't think this is the smart way to go about payouts. No, one, you know, the first one I'll say is you said 84th was the last one to get paid out. Yep. And what'd you say? It was like $400. Yeah. 440. And so, you know, in my mind, like we were talking about earlier, if you're competing at the world championships it's because you believe that you have a chance to be world champion, to take that down. 
you are there. Like you have to travel, you have to sign up, you have to do all this stuff, practice. You are there because you think you can win. And if you're okay taking money in the 84th, 85th position or whatever, then I feel like you truly don't believe that the world champion is, has earned what they did, if that makes sense. Like people should be okay with only the top 20 cashing because then you're like, you know, that's who's good enough. And then the world champion gets more because if it was you winning, I mean, you would want the ad cash. Like why are people cashing that low? Like you said, and then also like, it's not fair because there was only what, like 90 women in the FPO side. Um, let me check 70. There were 70, 70. And then that cashed. Uh, no. Yeah. There were 70 that total played and then 28 of them cashed. And so like, how is that even fair? They're taking all that extra money on the MPL side so they can pay out 84 total people where there's not going to be that many women at, you know, on the women's side division, they can't pay that many women if there's not that many women in the tournament. Yeah. So why would you not take more money so you can pay the top winners of equally instead of paying the guys at the bottom of the yeah. NPL side? And like, I get top 50. Okay. I get that top 45, top 40. Okay. Yeah, sure. Like those guys deserve the cash, but like, even you could change it to the point of like, like here, even if you finish 21st, you're only making $990. So like the difference between 21st and 84th is like 500 bucks. Like wh what? You finished 60 spots higher than someone. Why are you only getting $500 more than them? Like to me, that's just silly. Like only those in the top 17 got over a thousand dollars. Like I, I don't know, man. Like we could go on and on about this, but I think, and I think payouts is broke. And I think not just that, but like one thing that it would help if they fix this thing with payouts is it will legitimize the sport more because, yes. you know, people, a lot of people still see it, you know, it was on sports center and people were like, cool. And the announcers, like they're not used to it. And even the way that they're announcing, like, yeah, the world championship, like a, golf of disc or something mm -hmm. like to them it's still just this like weird it's funny. sport like like literally james conrad's it's it's on our instagram story you probably won't be able to see it by the time you're listening to this but uh the sc top 10 the number one was james conrad's uh incredible field ace um that put him in the playoff and like you could like you could just tell the announcer wasn't serious like, yeah it was a joke to him yeah like it clearly was a joke. And if you, you know, if you fix the payout, you were like world championship, for example, and they only cash the top 20, 25, and you have all of that extra money and you're able to give it to the first and second place. And then you have James Conner, the world champion, because that's the title that they are marketing world champion. You have him win 30, $35,000, yep. $40,000, then people are like, oh, wow, this is a serious sport. They are playing for serious money, and this is legitimate. As opposed to, oh, he won, won world championship? Cool, $16,000, which, like, that's, that's a lot of money, you know, for the players. But, like, in pro sports, that's nothing. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, there's a lot to be fixed about it, and we could go on and on. But let's, let's talk a little bit more advice for the AM side. 
Um, this is kind of the things that I was talking about. But before we get there, um, I just want to recap kind of how both of the world championships ended for FPO and MPO. So Horatio, could you explain to everyone kind of how the FPO side ended? Yeah, so very similar actually to the MPO side, you know. They were we knew there would be kind of a battle of, you know, Katrina Island and Paige Pierce. And Lisa was right there, but kind of towards the third, fourth round, they started they started uh getting away from those two. Haley King was also there. You know, I thought Haley King would be able to also be in that top three. And I think once she figures out her game, she will be in that with those other two, Katrina Allen, Pitchford, consistently. And she usually is. But this tournament, it turned out to be, you know, just Katrina Allen and Paige Fierce battle rematch number whatever, you know, probably like 20-something. But basically 18th hole, Paige Pierce pretty much thought she had it. And so she laid up for the save shot. She, she was like, I'm leading. I kind of just need to get my par and I'll be good. Katrina Allen literally, like she's been doing for years, and said, you know, like I am totally capable of winning this and I'm not going to give up. I'm going to give myself the opportunity to put myself in, in contempt for winning. And so Katrina Allen did not quit and put herself in the position to where she forced uh, Paige Pierce to now make a putt for – and I believe the putt was to go to playoffs, but she missed it. And then so Katrina Allen won. But it was pretty much very similar situation as Paul laying up because he felt he had it in the bag. Yeah, and so when you go to the other side, um, so pretty much what happens is going into 18, it's a one-stroke advantage for Paul McBeth. He has a pretty bad drive i in my opinion like it literally was one more disc rotation away from going out of bounds so like not the best drive in the world but then james has an even worse drive and then james has a terrible upshot and so now james is 247 feet out from the pin going for birdie and at that point he he was pretty much done at that point it was over literally the nate doss curse had happened to Paul McBeth. Nate Doss, Philo, all of them. They The commentator's curse happened to Paul McBeth because they literally were talking about how this one's in the bag, number six, number six, number six, and then all of a sudden, James has that awful drive. It's the worst drive of the group. Like It was also probably about six feet away from going out of bounds, like, into the water that's like short like it like no one else like everyone else was like easily 100 feet up from where he was like it was a terrible drive and then you get you get after his upshot that really only went out maybe another 100 feet if that literally nate doss was like oh this is it it's over man number six paul mcbeth he can lay up game over and then james conrad is 247 out and has to get it to tie mcbeth Macbeth has already thrown, has laid up, so his chance at birdie is gone. And so now you've got James who visualizes his line and throws literally the greatest shot of disc golf history ever. There has never been a shot that has been better than what James Conrad did. Literally, you can find it all over the internet right now if you have not seen it. Go look it up. 
um, because it is the greatest shot of all time because of what it meant. And he hit it. And my favorite part, my favorite part about the whole thing was the genuine happiness that James Conrad had. Like the, the, like I almost started crying because I was so happy for him because like you could tell how much that meant to him and just how like overjoyed he was. Like, I, I don't know. It, it made me, it made me feel emotional because of how happy he was. Um, and so he hits it literally everyone, every single person there, except for Paul and Hannah Macbeth are stoked right now. Elated. Calvin. Paul, Paul laughed. Paul like yeah. smiled at him. Yeah. He, he was like, that's insane. Like nobody makes that shot. Like that's not a shot you can. That's not a shot you even practice. Um, but like even Calvin gave a nice little yell, like yeah. never seen that much emotion out of that guy. Like everyone except for Paul and Hannah were like, wow, this is like, and they were probably also like, wow, but they were like, ah, oh, this, this really stinks. Um, so anyways, gets, you know, they, they go to a playoff, they go back to 16, which James had already aced almost aced and then parked twice. Um, and so this time, what's he do again? Park job. No problem. He, uh, James threw, uh, you know, just a little floaty hyzer with a putter and no big deal. Cause it's a pretty downhill, um, shot. I can't remember the exact distance right now. And then Paul goes with a forehand, the forehand hits and then rolls out of bounds virtually in. I mean, it did end any chance. And at that point it was like, oh, well, James just has to make this 10 foot tap in to win the world championship. And of course he did. And my favorite part about it was the first thing out of James Conrad's mouth. The very first thing out of his mouth was that he said he loved playing with his card mates and he had a great time playing with Paul, Kevin and Calvin. Like he didn't say anything about the shot. He didn't say anything about, you know, the first thing he said was I had a really good time playing with these guys today. And if you also just like my favorite part about James Conrad is that as they're good, getting ready to step up to this make or break playoff hole, he says, good luck, Paul, very audibly. He says, good luck. Like who, like, I, you know, sure. Everyone's like, ah, oh, yeah, good luck. But like, he genuinely meant it. Like, and no, no thought came into my head of eyes just saying that. Like he actually meant it. And like, even go back to the beginning when they were announcing everyone, when they said Paul McBeth first, he was like, yeah, go Paul. Like, like he like is just such a nice guy and supportive of everyone. I'm, I'm, I cannot express how happy I am that he picked this up. And also it's just so funny to me that you go back to the all-star event and how James was kind of letting Paul down in the little doubles that they were doing. And like Paul was visibly frustrated at what was going on for James to then beat him here. I don't know. I just thought that was kind of, kind of poetic justice. I thought, I thought that was pretty funny, Um, but that was a a long rant um, that I had about that. But one more thing that I have before I'll let Horatio jump in before we kind of get into my takeaways um, is that on 17 Philo Philo in the booth said that, one of these guys are going to have to throw uh, the shot of the century or the shot of their career, I think is how he put it. And James Conrad did that on the next hole. Like, I don't know. I just, I thought just, wow. So crazy how that happened. Literally so crazy, but I'll stop talking Horatio. Um, as we kind of get into my takeaways here, the first one I had was circle one putting wins for AMS, but circle two putting 
is what really locks it in for pros. Um, and I believe that, you know, you have to have a circle two game that is consistent and you can trust it and you can make it in order to compete at that level. But like, what advice do you have for AMs watching this? You know, how do you can, how do you make sure that circle one putting is on lock for you to even think about circle two putting? You know, with that, I would disagree with you a little bit. I would say that circle one, like a hundred percent from circle one, if you finish with that stat, you're winning the tournament on the MPO side And for sure, like some from circle two are going to help you and are going to give you those extra strokes off your card. But circle two, I think even for, even for the pro side, they're not making every circle two, like circle two putts are huge. And as an am, if you're making everything from circle one, you should be playing pro. Like those circle one putts, like that's up to 30, you know, even, even if we do just 20, 20 feet to 30 feet like just on the outer edge of circle one if you're making all of those you're probably playing pro side i think that um circle two are not gimmies on the pro side but they're definitely they're gonna set you apart i would say yeah 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 like of course you're not expected to make every circle two putt but the difference between being a winner and someone who just plays mpo is the circle two putting in my opinion. Like, I mean, we can yeah. count how many step putts, jump putts, which whatever you want to call it, that James Conrad had that secured him the dub because he got the birdie from there. Um, so yeah, I just, I think that's really important is working on those circle one, circle two putting, like putting, like, yes, your form, your driving, all of that stuff matters. But like, it doesn't matter if you're 20 feet out and you can't make that shot going to be tough for you to find success in the sport so i think that's really important and i think that's my first like big piece of advice to take away from this world championship is that you know really hone in that circle one start thinking about circle two um yeah go ahead from from all from like all sorts of situations like we watched that back nine of uh at the four you know yes Mm -hmm. yesterday was so entertaining because like kevin jones was making like some sick putts Paul Macbeth, you know, you said he missed that one on on uh, hole three, but on back nine, like some of the pots that Paul Macbeth was making, oh, yeah. it was like OG Crazy. McBeast. Like that I is mean, the Paul Macbeth we love Paul to see. And Conrad were like six down, seven down over the last nine holes or something like that. Yeah. And it was not just your standard like open, I'm standing in front of the basket. It was putts like over like branches, yep. underneath a branch, yep. like you can practice, you know, those putts, those circle one putts all you want, just you in an empty basket, but you have to be able to make them from a knee, make them, mm-hmm. you know, from a straddle. Elevated baskets. Your, yeah. your scores will improve. Yep. You got you to gotta make – you can't just be in an open field making putts. Same thing for your throwing. You can't just do field work in an open field all the time because you, you're not going to – be able to shape shots as well as you'd like if there's not a literal obstacle that's going to plop it down. Um, So the second piece of advice that I have here for AMS is that learning to throw putters is super key. Like we, I know we say it, I know our guests say it, but like when the Jomez coverage comes out or you can watch the final round of the G DGN on uh, YouTube as well, like notice how many times Conrad has a putter in his hand like to have success in the woods you have to be able to throw a putter you have to you know do 
certain shots with a putter that you just cannot do with your distance driver, your fairway driver. And so I, I really think that learning to throw a putter, finding a putter that fits in your hand well, and learning to throw it, learning to shape shots with that is super, super critical. And that can really help you with your speed control, your angles, landing zones, all of those things. I, th- I think that's really crucial. Yeah, definitely. I know I've seen, you know, lately I've started playing with more putters and mids just because I want to get my form down and increase my distance. And that's people, like you said, people say all the time and I feel like people don't want to believe it. They're like, no, I'm too good for that. But if you know, you go play with pros, you know, your locals and stuff, you'll see them throwing much slower discs than some of the AMs. And that's, that's for a reason. Like it's true. Um, even, you know, buddies I've gone to play with, I'll be like, they want to go out and buy new discs or whatever, and they want it to go far. And I'm like, well, you could, you know, do a mid, it'll help you out a lot. And I'll be like, no, I want a driver. Like I want a distance driver because I want to be able to throw far. And I'm like, well, that's not necessarily like all it takes. And yeah. unfortunately, like golf where you have a driver and it's going to go far farther than a wedge. Yeah. 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 Similar Yeah, golf. I'm like, we've been playing a little bit here, but I don't know what most of them do, but I'm like, I'll play, I'll pick up the, the driver and you know, they'll tell me like, Oh, you don't want to, you don't want to use that here. It's too, it's too too much for the hole. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I'm like, nah, I want it to go far. And so I do it anyway, but that's lack of skill. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right. So the third and final takeaway I have here is that, uh, never quit. You, you simply cannot quit um, and you have to visualize your lines and that, you know, the disc is going to go in like visualization, positive attitude, not quitting. Like those things are so crucial. At one point in the final round, James was down like four strokes to Paul and one, like, like you have to, if you give up in that scenario, it's game over game set match. Like he does it like the greatest shot of all time doesn't ever happen. Like, and then that shot also doesn't happen without you visualizing your lines. James Conrad is so good at watching him visualize the lines. He literally shows you what he wants the disc to do every single throw. So maybe incorporating that a little bit or telling yourself, Hey, I want to pick the third tree to the right. And I want it to be just under the leaves. That's where I want this disc to go. Like, Finding your targets, visualizing your lines are so important to executing your shots. If you just step up and throw, you, you're not going to hit. You, you might not be hitting what you're aiming for. And also, how do you even know what you're aiming for? How can you get better? How can you tell the discs are doing good things if you don't have an aiming spot, if you're not visualizing what you want the disc to do? Like, I think it's just it, it hurts your ability to get better and to improve your score. So, yeah, I just I think that's super, super important. Yeah, I think those are the little things, you know, that separate, going to make you a better player and just like an average, you know, average rec player. Those are the things that matter and you should focus on. And we're very lucky to get to watch the quality of disc golf, you know, that was on Worlds. Like some of that, like it's just insane. And if you watch the next day coverage on Joe Mass, like those are high level players. And just like hearing how amazed they are by like some of the shots that these guys throw, like it lets you know, like, how incredible disc golf like we're currently living in. Yeah. Well, Horatio, let's get out of here on this final quick little topic here. We've said this before, at least to each other. I don't know if we've said it on the podcast yet or not, but like in racing, especially NASCAR is, I think, a good example here in America. Like if a Toyota wins 
on a Sunday, typically there's more Toyota sales on a Monday, right? Ford, Chevy, whatever it is. You don't bag any MVP discs. I don't bag any MVP discs. We just got one sent to us that we're going to be doing a review of. Does James Conrad winning with MVP? And this is something he said. He said the last two years, he feels as though he should have won the world championship. So maybe them Innova discs aren't as good as everyone claims them to be. Maybe MVP is being slept on. Maybe James Conrad's just really good and he put it all together, right? But like, are you looking to purchase any MVP discs after James Conrad's massive W? No, I'm not really that kind of fan or that kind of person, you know, just to go buy because somebody won. But I think it definitely will have an effect. I think you MVP will see a up in sales this next following weeks. I know some of the people were like um, endorsing or throwing the the envy out there and saying, hey, just saying this is pretty much what he was using. So I think definitely you'll see people go buy some, give it a chance. Next time they go to the store, you know, disc golf store, play it again or whatever, they'll take a second look and they'll be like, hmm, maybe I should give this a shot. So I think for sure. But no, I'm not like that. What about you? I probably won't. Um, I don't know. Like I'd have to, I, I want to see how this crave works for us. And maybe if it goes well and I like the plastic, then, you know, maybe I might pick up another one here or there. But I've never really, I, I've never thrown an MVP disc before. Um, and like James Conrad has been like the biggest MVP signing in a long time and like has been one of the only guys or gals who really finishes consistently towards the top. Um, so I don't know. I'm not saying that impacts my decision, but also there's just not near as much MVP around here in the middle of Kansas. Maybe there is in other areas, but yeah, here in Kansas, there's not a whole lot of MVP. Um, but I don't think I will be purchasing any MVP. I think I'm pretty set. There's just so many, there's so many like discs that you can buy between all of the companies. And then you take mids, fairways, distance drivers into consideration. There's like so many options. And I think that's one thing that hurts people and maybe doesn't help them improve as fast as they could because they're constantly changing discs. And to where like, I want to control the number of things that I am learning and focusing on. That's why I've kind of just picked one brand. I throw mostly Discraft and uh, Discmania, but it's probably 90% Discraft. And that's solely because I like their plastic. They put out nice looking discs. And I just want to focus on learning that plastic and that brand. I don't want to confuse myself with, you know, throwing Innova, throwing MVP, throwing DGA or whatever. Like it's going to take me a lot longer to learn the discs. So that's just me we gotta get this guy horatio a discraft sponsorship that's what we gotta do (laughs) oh well guys hey this was a fun episode hopefully you guys enjoyed um let us know what your thoughts were let us know what you know what were your reactions to this 2021 world championship did you watch the shot live i'd love to know um yeah, let us know. I would really be, really would be interested to hear what your guys' thoughts were. Uh, got some great content coming up for you guys here in the next couple of weeks. Can't wait to drop it. But uh, Horatio, if you don't have anything else, I think uh, we'll see y'all next week. We'll see you guys. Have a good week. Thank you for listening to the Chain Clankers podcast. Make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Chain Clankers and hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening to us from so you never miss another episode. Thank you.